0: Well, one thing's for sure, foolishness abounds in our world. It's hard to know exactly what to say after what happened this week, and I don't know that I need to say much except that foolishness abounds in our world. And the news is filled with foolishness, and YouTube is a foolishness factory. Many of the people who are in D.C. were absolutely high on YouTube. And there are churches that peddle foolishness and proclaim it as God's word, and left and right, leaders and followers, inside the church and out, foolishness is found in all corners. And in all the places... (laughs) That we could go to find wisdom. It's not the news and it's not YouTube and it, and it is only right here. This is the only solid wisdom that we have to stand on. And if our actions are in contradiction to this word, we, should, we can know that we are behaving in foolishness. And Paul wrote in a time when Nero was burning Christians that we should submit to our governing authorities. Uh, that's incredible. That's incredible. And that is even more than I wanted to say this morning, but I just couldn't help myself. (laughs) So, anyway, um, because this is such a solid rock of wisdom, that's why we, we come to it in our times that are so tumultuous and troubling to find wisdom, and we've been plumbing the depths of Proverbs since August so that we can find all of this powerful, practical, prolific wisdom and let it Come into our minds and filter into our hearts and change the way that we live and, and see the world. And so today, we return to Proverbs after taking a break for, for Advent and talking about prayer. Come back to Proverbs and we go right to Proverbs chapter 5. And if you have read ahead and you know what's, in, what's coming today, um, then good for you. Because today is not going to be an easy one. Disclaimer, if there are young children in this room, who are not ready to handle uh, some of these more graphic and explicit passages, then I ask you to exercise wisdom. Um, you, you may want to take them downstairs, maybe not, maybe you want them to learn. Um, but you know, I'm going to try to exercise modesty with my speech today as I talk, but the allusions in Proverbs chapter 5 are anything but modest. Some of the most Explicit um, passages in our in the whole Bible. So, so for all of you, uh, that, I mean that would make some great online clickbait. Let's see if we can get that get that going. Um. <laughs> so, as you know, Proverbs is revealing to us two very different paths and that there are only two paths. There's a way of foolishness and there's a way of wisdom. There's a way of light and a way of darkness, a way of life and a way of death. Only two paths. And so as this theme continues and runs into Proverbs chapter 5, we're now seeing that there are two women, two very different women, and then also two very different ways to gratify sexual desires. And so Proverbs chapter 5 is going to tell us, give us wisdom that relates to our sexual desires. I must say that this chapter is geared towards a very specific stage in people's lives. And I know not everybody is in that stage. I know there are many who are single who might feel like these things just aren't for me. But that couldn't be further from the truth. God has put this in the Bible because he knows that every single one of us need to hear these things. There is wisdom for all of us to glean. And so as you hear some of these things, um, use discernment. Use wisdom. What does God have to say to you, though this in every way might not apply to your life? I uh, I know that all of us who have made it through puberty... Uh, have sexual desires and temptations that we wrestle with and have to battle with, whether they are physical or emotional, we're sexual beings, and so this passage relates to every single one of us. And the purpose of it, of course, is that sexuality is only meant to be expressed and enjoyed within the confines of marriage. And it shows us beautifully uh, what this looks like. But to be clear, and because society would demand this, Marriage is between one man and one woman for their whole lives. So let's not get that confused with anything else. All right, well, that's enough disclaimers and context. Let me read Proverbs chapter 5. You follow along with me. I'm reading from the ESV. My son, be attentive to my wisdom, incline your ear to my understanding that you may keep discretion and your lips may guard knowledge. For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death, her steps follow the path to Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life, her ways wander, and she does not know it. And now, O sons, listen to me, and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her, do not go near the door of her house. Lest you give your honor to others and your years to the merciless. Lest strangers take their fill of your strength and uh, and your labors go to the house of a foreigner. And at the end of your life, you groan when your flesh and body are consumed. And you say, how I hated discipline and my heart despised reproof. I did not listen to the voice of my teachers or incline my ear to to my instructors. I am at the brink of utter ruin in the assembled congregation." Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him, and he is held fast in the cords of his sin. He dies for lack of discipline, and because of his great folly he is led astray. Father God, I pray that you would give us ears to hear, hearts to receive, and that when we are offended today by something we hear, would we instead see the higher things that you are calling us to. Lord, I pray that you would use my words to speak without, without error and with wisdom and discretion, and use all of our minds to absorb these things and let them influence the way that we live our lives. And if we're married, we live within the context of our marriages. I pray it all in Jesus' name, our betrothed. Amen. So the chapter begins with the typical exordium as the father is teaching his son. We've seen this uh, illustration now many times in Proverbs. And this father loves his son, and because he loves him so much, he teaches him with with patience and with diligence, and here in this passage, with strong language. And it's meant to wake up the son to the realities of wisdom and foolishness, to reject the way of foolishness, to choose the way of life. And also based on the, the context of the passage, we know that the father is no longer teaching a a young boy, but his son is um, soon to be married, or maybe he has newly been married, and he's in a different stage of his life. And So that's how we need to think about the uh, context of this teaching, what it's happening in. This is not a lesson for young boys. This is a a lesson for those with sexual desires. And I want you to note at the end of verse 2 that we had just read, the father says, That your lips may guard knowledge. And so the father's teaching that he has been speaking since he was a young boy, since the son was a young boy, have been put in the son's mind, hopefully filtered into his heart. They've been there now for years, fermenting and growing, hopefully building wisdom. And he wants his son to guard all of that wisdom with his lips, with his mouth. Keep it all safe and protected. We get an illustration of this actually in in the book of Genesis where, you know, the the wisdom spoken from father to son that's uh, lived out as Joseph responds to the wife of Potiphar and her seductive advances. She's continually trying to seduce Joseph, going so far as begging Joseph to have sex with her. And so Joseph responds with, "'Behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house.' And he has put me in charge of everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept anything back from me except you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? You see how he's protecting wisdom with his lips there. And I love that he grounds his wisdom in God. And we'll see the father who teaches his son do the exact same thing. But of course, this guarding wisdom with the lips is being juxtaposed to the fevered lips of the adulteress. Look at verse 3 again. For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. So the forbidden woman was first introduced to us in Proverbs chapter 2, verses 16 through 19. And we know she's forbidden because in that passage, it's very clear, she's the wife of another man. And now in this chapter, and in chapter 6, and in chapter 7, they're all going to deal with the forbidden woman. I spent a lot of time talking about temptation and sexuality and adultery. But this passage today is unique among them all. And we'll come back to that. But they're all addressing this seductive adulteress because she is the destroyer of foolish men. She speaks with words that ooze seductive allurements and how sweet her offerings, how delicious they taste. It's all smoother than oil. And so in Oil symbolizes joy and prosperity in the Bible. And for those that did enjoy prosperity, after a bath, they would rub their bodies down with oil, giving their skin a nice, soft glow. So, the point of this language that the Father is speaking is her words are meant to arouse, her voice is beckoning for a caress. So as the father's teaching the son, he is exercising masterful cunning with wordplay. There's a number of commentators that remark about the Hebrew wordplay in this verse, which refers to female anatomy. And the father is trying to make his son curious. He's trying to pique the son's curiosity rather than him listening to her to find satisfaction for his curiosity. Parents, I think we can learn from this strategy. Let's get there before she does. So the father knows the allurement because he's heard her voice first. He knows that her seductions have incredible power and yet she who sounds so good, so attractive, she's a destroyer. She's a killer. Look at verse 4. But in the end, she is bitter wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steeps, his steps follow the path to Sheol. All who go in to find pleasure from this woman, they find the opposite of what they desire. Her sweet seductions have turned bitter with wormwood. Her smooth words reveal themselves to be slashing swords. And it turns out that her words were a trap set to snare fools. We saw wicked men doing the same thing to the young boy in Proverbs chapter 1. Smooth words to ensnare. We hear now it's the seductress. Indeed, this forbidden woman is running herself right down into death. Therefore, any who attach themselves to her they find the same fate. So you see in these two verses this escalating punishment bitterness, slashing, death, Sheol. And there are no there's no returning from the final consequences. But what both members of this affair fail to realize is that their wayward passions have them running headlong into death that comes from judgment, not from the courts of men, but from the throne of God himself. The final day, we know, and this is telling us, that the unrepentant, sexual sexually deviant are rewarded with hell, a death that has no end. Hell is found by those who have a particularly chilling outlook on life, which is given to us in verse 6. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander. She does not know it. She does not ponder the path of life, which does not mean she doesn't think about her life. It means that she doesn't have any regard for the way that leads to life. She doesn't want that way. Therefore, she does not stumble upon the way of death. She doesn't happen upon it by accident. She's choosing it. She wants to walk in this way. And I'm reminded of Proverbs 12, 15. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes. Or As I've said before, a fool doesn't know they're a fool. And all of their ways seem right to them. Of course, she doesn't understand that her way is leading her to death. She doesn't even think about it. She doesn't even want to think about it. What she's really choosing is to reject God and reject God's ways. She doesn't want any constraints upon her. She doesn't want anyone to tell her what to do with her body or to put boundaries upon her sexuality. And she has no wisdom to see that her way has wandered from life and now is careening dreadfully into the judgments of her creator. And the son would suffer the same fate if he chooses her ways. Verses seven and eight. And now, O sons, listen to me, and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her, and do not go near the door of her house. The Father doesn't want to want his son to be unaware of where this way leads. Her way is death, and she is forbidden. The instruction of the Father will protect the Son from the temptations of illicit passion. Notice, though, the Father has switched to sons now, in the plural. All sons who would hear. Even us today, these are words from our Heavenly Father to us, all of us. Now, the Father has revealed what the seductress has earned And now he will reveal the wages for all those who go to her house and enter her door. And considering Solomon is the author of this, I can't help but hear the ring of experience. He knows what it is to have unrestrained sexual passions that lead him astray. So let's look at what he says are the wages for such things in verses 9 through 11. Lest you give honor to others... And your years to the merciless. Lest strangers take their fill of your strength. And your labors go to the house of a foreigner. And at the end of your life you groan. When your flesh and body are consumed. The fool goes to the forbidden woman. Because he thinks he will get. But as you read that you see. All that ends up happening is that he gives away. And he gives away. He gives away honor gives away years and his strength and his labors and his health. All is wasted. All is wasted. And the son would be the only one responsible for his absolute destitution, his reward. His reputation is destroyed by the shame of exposed sin. And so who can trust him? All that he has worked so hard to build has now come apart. In the ancient world, he likely would have suffered the loss of prof- property and wealth to the forbidden woman's husband. He would owe the husband huge sums for the adultery. But certainly, all the work that had gone into building a home and a family has been burned to ashes. All those youthful years of promise and energy. They're gone forever. And is there any strength to start again? Verse 11 even implies sexually transmitted infections. they were as common in the ancient world as they are today and just as much a threat for infidelity. And so we know alimony and child support and broken homes and hurt and jealousy and loneliness and STIs and, and even murder. All of these for a few moments of pleasure. Surely the son's shattered world and utter exhaustion have left him with only groaning and regret. It's a sad end. Look at verses 12 and 14. And you say, How I hated discipline, and my heart despised reproof. I did not listen to the voice of my teachers or incline my ear to my instructors. I am at the brink of utter ruin in the assembled congregation. He had many teachers in wisdom, many voices telling him it's not that way. They were for his good. Their chastisement, their reproof, though he didn't like to hear it, it was for his good. But he hated it all. He hated the discipline. He hated the reproof. He hated the correction. And that is a statement about his heart. In the same way that the forbidden woman has no regard for God and his ways, neither does this adulterous son. And so he is indeed on the brink of utter ruin. But before utter ruin comes from the court of heaven, it will come from the courts of men. So this picture is a picture of Israel gathered in assembly for judgment. And the son has become famous. But not for his success. For his shameful deeds now exposed in front of everybody. What was secret is exposed. And the sentence for such activities is nothing short of death. Leviticus 20.10 If a man commits adultery with the wife of his neighbor... Both the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. And then the congregation would gather stones and stone them to death. Utter, complete ruin. But now with that final warning of doom the Father switches to the positive. Rather than give ear to the smooth words of forbidden women, be captivated by the seductress in your own home. And so here we need to notice something absolutely profound and deep about the human condition. We are made to be sexual beings. And therefore, God has created us to burn with sexual desires to varying degrees, but to burn nonetheless. And that burning is meant to be quenched, but nowhere else than in the waters of marriage. I want to read you a quote from a theologian, Bruce Waltke. He says, a man's biological drives and social responsibilities are in conflict, His innate drives must be channeled within the right form, just as a train's engine functions best on tracks. True freedom is not having whatever you want, it's functioning in the way for which you were created. So we come to uh, this verse, 15, and we find that apart from some select passages in Song of Solomon... This passage is the only other place in the whole Bible that offers wisdom for expressing sexuality rightly. So we should really take this part seriously. Look at verse 15. Drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. In case that's not clear, water is a metaphor for sexual desire. Drinking it satisfies those desires which burn. A cistern signifies a a deep reservoir of water. A well is uh, where that water is continually replenished by unseen sources. And these waters are ever flowing within the sun's own home, available there. And yes, if you were thinking it, there are more allusions to female anatomy in that verse. So of this well that the son is to go and to drink often and to drink deeply, all that sexual passion and desire is not to be repressed and it's not to be despised. Rather, his desires are, are supposed to be free to find their expression and satisfaction in the waters of his wife. The father is encouraging his son. Make love to your wife often, frequently, passionately. But I want you to see that the wife doesn't merely exist for the husband's sexual gratification. The husband exists also for the wife's sexual sexual gratification. Their bodies belong to one another. Like we see in Song of Solomon. I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. Or as Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 7, For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another. So in marriage, you have a right to each other's body. Does the husband or wife have a sexual desire? Then the other is supposed to meet that desire. The husband and the wife are one flesh. They should act as one flesh because their bodies belong to one another. They are to satisfy each other's desires and they are to defer to what the other one wants. And they are to bring as much pleasure to their spouse as they can possibly muster wow, (laughs) drink deep, drink often, and it is sinful to deprive your spouse. Likewise, it must be said, sexual manipulation and demanding sexual favors and abuse are given no allowance in the Bible. That verse in 1 Corinthians does not mean that you can demand from your spouse whatever sexual whim comes upon you. It means that you treat each other with the utmost respect and care, with tenderness, making every effort to be loving and passionate, frequent, bringing pleasure. Joyless sex has no place in marriage. Which doesn't mean if sex is joyless, you shouldn't have it. What that means is that if sex is joyless for either one, Both need to work, be committed to making that sex amazing, joyful, frequent. So let me say that again. Depriving your spouse of sex is loveless and sinful. God has given us a good gift for which we are to drink deeply and drink often from the waters of marriage. Why would you look anywhere else? Verse 16 and 17. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets? Let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. So the father has just expanded the arenas for which the son might seek sexual sexual gratification. Streams of water in the streets. The streets are where one would find prostitutes. And so the, the son is warning his son about, against sexual affairs, not just from married women, but, but from any other source. And so I think for us today, this is a strong warning against pornography. More accessible, more available than any other time in history, the Internet brings forbidden pleasures into your pocket. Why look for running water in the gutters of streets? It will only leave you groaning with regrets in the end. All the water you could ever want is at home. Drink, drink from her fountains filled with love and pleasure. Lose yourself in her. Verse 18, let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth because this context, context is all about enjoying the erotic pleasures within marriage, when we read about a, a fountain, and re, a blessed fountain and rejoicing in the wife, we should understand that the father is, is praying, really, that his son would have an incredible sex life. Where they are, both husband and wife, beside themselves with joy, with pleasure, with happiness, content, and confident in their relationship, which flows out of these physical expressions of it. The quality and the quantity to which they enjoy one another is meant to overflow with delight. And it is so good for this husband to be enraptured by his wife and only his wife. Verse 19. A lovely deer, a graceful doe, let her breasts fill you at all time with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. The term translated as graceful dough, is literally a dough of lovemaking. This is certainly the most explicit verse that we are dealing with today. And I've decided against telling you how this verse would translate literally otherwise. Um, But it is, it is graphic. Clearly, there is much to delight in In the body of your spouse, in the body of one's wife. Michael V. Fox, a theologian commentating on this verse, says Instead of simply being admonished never to to stray, the youth is encouraged to do so, but only with his own wife. The term be intoxicated connotes no disapproval here, but perhaps it bears a slightly naughty overtone by, suggesting, by suggestions of straying deliciously dazed in the ecstasies of lovemaking. In the marriage bed, inhibitions may be left behind. The lovers, as in the Song of Solomon, are urged to get drunk on lovemaking. That's awesome. This phrase intoxicated in her love. Always. That does not mean always as in always and forevermore only. It means constantly. Again and again and again be intoxicated continually in her love forever. Like you you, you like the idea of getting drunk? Well, it's not with alcohol. It's here. And, and party as much as you want. That's what, it's, that's what he's saying. Be intoxicated continually in her love. And I think there is so much wisdom in those words. Husbands and wives, it is wisdom to have joy-filled, loving sex be a major part of your marriage and your lives. And then the father returns once more to a warning, certainly wisdom, and he grounds all of this in God, verses 20 through 23. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him, and he is held fast in the cords of his sin. He dies for lack of discipline, and because of his great folly, he is led astray. So with all the bliss found in your wife, why go looking anywhere else? Looking anywhere else after hearing all of this is absurd. The ultimate reason sexual pleasure is meant to be confined to marriage is because of the one who created it. The father turns theological. And he tells us that there are no such things as secret pleasures. There are no clandestine rendezvous. And there is no true incognito mode. A man's ways are ever before the eyes of the Lord. And so too are a woman's. He sees all and all doers of wickedness. Now he's saying all doers of wickedness, not just the adulterers. All of them are running down to their death. They are so ensnared by their own sins, they cannot arrest their falling, doomed to die, doomed to self-destruct against the justice of the Almighty. The Father who teaches and our Father in heaven, they must look with sadness upon this man and woman that give illicit expression to their desires, shaking their heads, saying foolishness, foolishness. A small measure of discipline would have saved them from the unending death. Now, this is a sermon for all of us and me. We don't have the discipline to resist all of this. We do not. We do not have the ability to exercise that discipline. There is not one person in this room that is free from sexual sin. There is no one here that would escape the judgment of God. God has seen our ways. Every secret sin is exposed before him. And he sees that our ways have wandered. And so we must turn to Jesus. We have no other recourse. We must turn to Jesus in whom we find forgiveness for our every failing and our every wickedness and our every deviancy. We turn to him who takes our marriage garments that were stained by our adulterous sins, our filthiness, and he adorns us now in robes of white. And we come to him who offers us living water that quenches our thirst always. And we become his. And he becomes ours. First Corinthians 6:19 through20. "You are not your own, for you are bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Married or unmarried, young or old, Christ is your satisfaction. Give him every member of your body. And he offers you pleasures, spiritual and physical, far more intoxicating and lasting than anything that could happen in a bed. Brothers and sisters, the path of wisdom is filled with intoxicating pleasures. Pleasures forevermore. Joy at the right hand of God. To choose another way? To sacrifice lasting joy with a cheap moment of spilled water? Silliness, foolishness, doom. Satisfy husbands and wives. Now I point at you. Satisfy all of your erotic desires within the gift of marriage. Drink deeply, drink often. And so honor the one who created you to thirst. All of us, though, we go to Christ for this living water that will quench our souls like nothing else can, not even marriage. Christ is our satisfaction. You are not your own. You are bought with a price. So glorify God with your body. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for creating us the way that you have. Frustrating as it might be to us at times, um, that frustration only points us to how good you are and how satisfying you are and how much we need you to teach us that. Lord, by the power of your Spirit, would you work in us that we might come to you more and more and more for this drink and drink deeply and drink often. You are so good so loving, and have done for us what we could not do from ourselves to save us from plummeting to our doom. Thank you. God, for all of us who are married in this room or who will one day be married, help us to know what it is to love one another in marriage as Christ has loved the church, to lay down our own desires for the good of the other, to bring them joy and pleasure and satisfaction, washing each other in the word and pointing always to you, all of our Savior. I pray these things because of Christ, because you've rescued us, because you have called us yours, and now we are yours and you are ours, and you call us your bride, and you are bridegroom. Praise you in your name. Amen.